0: Come and see. Well, <clears throat> I'm glad to be back from sabbatical, y'all. <laughs> and I just, I just want to take a moment to say thank you. Thank you, church, for giving me the time uh, to be able to get away, to refresh, to renew, uh, to, to just be with the Lord and, and, and come back with uh, new insight, new vision, uh, thank you to the staff. Thank you to the leaders who, who stepped in. And made sure that, keep, that things kept going and that, that things went well. I mean, I, I kept up with you all from a distance. And I was like, yes, things are going well. Uh, attendance went up when I was gone. That's a good thing. Uh, and so I, I, was, I was just so thrilled. So thank you uh, for that. And, uh, I, you know, I was gone 12 weeks so I figured that I could share with you maybe 12 pictures that represent some of the stuff that happened during my sabbatical just so that you would have an idea. And so I'll start with this one. Uh, my in-laws celebrated their 60th wedding anniversary and we, got, uh, we were able to go up there and spend some time with them to celebrate. Since this picture was taken, my father-in-law has had multiple strokes and his health has been deteriorating. In fact, right now he's in the hospital fighting for his life. And sabbatical gives us an opportunity to go up there often and just check on them and, and be with them during this time. So pray for them. And then on a happier note, uh, soon into the sabbatical, we were able to go to South Padre. The whole family went. We spent some time together. But I only take pictures with Daniel. So sorry. Um, uh, but we were all there. We had a good time. I'm so happy to live in a place where you can go to the beach in the winter and, uh, and enjoy it. I did play some golf. Uh, not as often as I thought I might. And no, my game didn't improve. So don't ask me. Uh, but I had a good time. And then I also was able to go to several conferences. One of them was the Evangelism Conference in San Antonio, Texas, a statewide conference. And and I was just so uh, encouraged by millennials who are on fire and have a lot of vision uh, and uh, was able to be encouraged in that time. I also participated in a retreat with the Buckner International Board where we talked about excellence in governance, which I know sounds boring, but it was exciting for me. And then we also talked about demographic changes in our state and what that means for ministry. I may share with that, about that with you at a later time. And then uh, back to McAllen, Quinta Mazatlán with Daniel. And uh, that represented almost a weekly thing that we were able to go and get away. And one of the things I was really grateful for during this time is a family reunion that we had in Corpus Christi. My two brothers, my four children, my grandson, and respective companions had not been together in one place since before the pandemic. We weren't able to be together at my mom's funeral. We weren't able to be together when my dad passed away. And, and so it was very meaningful for us to, to regroup, to be together. And and together we scattered my dad's ashes on the Bay of Corpus Christi. And that, was, that brought some closure for us. Uh, and it just, uh, we, we, we shared memories, and it was very meaningful. Uh, I also uh, had the opportunity to be at the first executive board meeting of the uh, Baptist General Convention of Texas as their president. This, it was my first time to address them as president, and I wanted them to know three things. One, Calvary is the best church in the state. Um, two, we need to pray. We need a lot of prayer. And three, come to McAllen in July. We have a family gathering where all the state will come and celebrate that, so I was happy to do that. Then I was able to take a week for a solitude in Corpus Christi. Uh, I, I got away, I was by myself, and just have times of prayer and meditation and hearing from God, and I'm so thankful that I was able to do that. I expected the whole week to be a week of solitude, But in the middle of the week, my daughter, Mia, who lives in Corpus Christi, decided to have a baby. And so I was able to hold baby Antares. She's my granddaughter. Now I have a grandson and a granddaughter. And you're going to thank you. Thank you. Uh, And I was so happy to be able to be there. God allowed that to work out in a very special way. And I'm thankful. I, I did another pastor's conference in Waco. Where uh, We got to speak uh, hear an author that talked about why people are leaving the church, why churches are declining in other parts, and and how the church looks like after the pandemic, really after uh, a lot of other things other than the pandemic. And then we finished last weekend with Daniel again, uh, fishing uh, at the Resaca Benson State Park. Uh, no, we didn't catch anything, but it was quality time. And so... That's representative of the kinds of things that happened. But one of the things I didn't have a picture for was that every day I had an opportunity to have extended time of prayer, an extended time of just being with the Lord. And early on in those prayer times, I decided that my theme song would be an old hymn called "Be Thou My Vision." The first sentence you might be familiar with it. The first stanza is "Be Thou My Vision." O Lord of my heart, not be all else to me, save that thou art. Thou my best thought, by day or by night, waking or sleeping, thy presence my light. And that has been my prayer, that God would be my vision. That in the morning and in the evening, that he would be at the center of what I see, uh, of who I contemplate. That that when things come and go, that, that whatever happened before, And whatever happens afterwards, that that the one thing that stays at the center of my vision is God, is the Lord. And our preaching team, who I'm so thankful for, has been walking with you through a series called Come and See since January. It was an invitation to enter the gospel story and to see, to see Jesus, to see the miracle worker to see his authority, to see his power, to see his truth. And and I hope the invitation to see was also an invitation to know him, to experience him, to to allow him to to be part of, of your life and to bring life change. And we're going to continue today with that series, Come and See, and a message called Come and See the Humble King. I'd like to invite you to go with me to John chapter 12, verse 12. Uh, where our text is found, and if you have a Bible, a device, or you simply want to follow on the screen, the Bible says, the next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel, Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it as it is written, do not be afraid, daughter Zion, see your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. The arrival of Jesus in Jerusalem is a moment of revelation. God, in this moment, is revealing something to the people that they had not realized before. He's been showing himself through Jesus' words and works. But on this day, they're going to see a new dimension of Jesus that they had not seen before. Which makes the triumphal entry not just a moment of revelation, but a moment of decision. See, these people had been following Jesus, they had been admiring him, they had been curious, they had been entertained by him, they had seen his miracles, they they saw him raise Lazarus from the dead. But now it was time to make a decision. It was time to answer some questions. Is Jesus a good teacher? Is Jesus a miracle worker? Is Jesus a prophet from God? Or is he more than that? And for those who had trouble believing, the question is, is Jesus a false prophet? Is he a blasphemer? Is he someone who needs to be stopped? Those kind of decisions needed to be made on this day. And it brings me to ask you a question. Have you made a decision about Jesus? Have you decided what you believe about Who he is? Is Jesus to you just a a historical figure? Is, Is he some kind of religious icon that's relegated to the church and the stories of the Bible? Is Jesus a spiritual guru that you can call on whenever you get in trouble or you need something? Or is he more than that? Whatever you believe about Jesus, it has implications about the way you live your life, about how your life is impacted by him. The story that we read today invites us to see Jesus first as a successor king. You see, the people are, are, are coming after Jesus. They had been there uh, in Bethany where, where he had been anointed by Mary. The crowd had grown large around him because of the things he had done. And now as as they see him arrive in Jerusalem, not only are they thinking that he he rose somebody from the dead, but suddenly there comes this idea that, that this miracle worker, that this teacher, that this person with authority is a king. They see him as a king, as a successor king. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. See, Israel had asked for a king early on in his history. God wanted to be Israel's king, but, but Israel wanted a human king like the other nations. We want to be like the rest. Aren't God's people like that sometimes? We, God wants to do things a certain way, but we want to do them the world's way. And, and they asked for a king, and, and God said, fine, I'll give you a king. And it didn't go well time king after king failed in their responsibility, failed in in their duty to to lead the people of Israel. There was one king, though, that that did better than the others. There there was one king whose kingdom grew and made Israel stronger, and his name was David. And every king that came after him, or most every king that came after him, just made a mess of things. And so people look back at the kingdom of David with the longing of, Man, that's the way, that, those are the golden years. That's, that's when Israel was at its best. But they also looked back with an expectation that the Bible prophesied that one day there would be a successor to the throne of David. That one day there would be one like David who would rule and who would bring Israel back to its former glory. And for a moment on this day, the crowd realizes this is he, the king promised by the prophets entering into Jerusalem, the Messiah. For a moment, they realized that God had not forgotten his promise. God had not forgotten his people. God was visiting his people in the midst of their distress and their brokenness. They saw him as king. Now, if you, if you notice in the story, not everyone saw him as that, in spite of the fact that God was revealing that moment to them. Not everyone saw him. Just before Jesus enters into Jerusalem, look what happens in Bethany, verse nine. He says, meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well for an account of him, Many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. What an incredible thing. The same event, the the, the resurrection of Lazarus, which caused many people to believe or to at least try to follow Jesus, caused these religious people to want to kill Lazarus. Now, here's what's interesting to me they're not questioning the miracle. They're not questioning they can't they can't deny it. Lazarus is alive. He was in the tomb for three days and now he's alive. They can't deny it. But instead of believing, instead of being brought to, to, to hear and to see Jesus, they want to kill Lazarus because he's messing up their agenda. He's messing up their plans. Same people, same event, different response. See, some people have all have already decided who's going to be their king. It will rule their hearts. I, I I know perhaps you experience the same thing that I do. Sometimes we hear of an event and it's incredible how people just hear and see and react in different ways. We had this awful mass shooting in Nashville at a Christian school and and instantly social media gets filled with people who want to talk about gun control and then it gets filled with people who want to talk about you know, transgender. And then it gets filled with people who want to measure how much time it takes police to respond in Uvalde or in Nashville or elsewhere. And, and maybe those conversations are important at some point, but but I'm thinking right now, can we just hurt with the people? Right now, can we just lament that there's evil in our world? Can we just be aware that, that only the power of the enemy Can possess someone to do something so awful. How can the same event evoke such different responses from different people? Is because sometimes we've already decided what we want the agenda to be. Sometimes we, we are not ready to just open our eyes and see what God wants to show us. And so my question for you today is have you seen Jesus as King? Have you trusted him? Have you surrendered to him? Are you contemplating him in all of his glory? The story invites us to see Jesus as a successor king but it also invites us to see Jesus as a savior king. The people are saying, Hosanna, Hosanna. What does Hosanna mean? It means save. It was common for for royalty to be received with Hosanna. Save the king. But but in the same way, Hosanna also is a plea to save us. Is this expectation that we want a king that will rule with justice, but we also want a king who will save us. We all long for a savior, don't we? Whether we realize it or not, in us, within us, there's a longing for a savior. For, for the people of Israel, they were longing to be saved from their oppressor, from Rome, Perhaps some of them were longing to be safe from the religious leaders who kept on adding rules and rules to, to their life and they said, we just can't do this. People wanted to be safe from their circumstances, their poverty and their, their need and their hopelessness. We want to be safe from people who do evil, don't we? We don't understand how someone can be so evil and we want to be protected from that. We want to be safe from ourselves. Mental illness is on the rise among us. And we want to escape that. People talk about identity issues. As if somehow they want to be safe from themselves. Escape who, who, who they are, who they are perceived to be, to some other kind of reality that they want to create for themselves. We want to be safe from from our materialism. We, we no longer believe Madonna, that we live in a material world and we just can be material girls or boys. We, we know that all the material stuff in the world cannot fill our deepest longings. We, we know that, that we wanna be saved from the notion that all there is to life is, is, is physical, that it's about molecules and a, a life without purpose and meaning, that, that there's something beyond. There's a God who cares about us. We want to be saved from the artificial and and the superficial to, to that which is deep and meaningful. And it all starts by being saved from our sin, being saved from our brokenness. And the wonderful thing about this story is that King Jesus enters not just as the ruler, but he enters as the savior. He understands that whatever is happening on that day is just going to last for the day. He's in Jerusalem, not so that they can praise him and do this parade and exalt him and his approval ratings can be improved. He's in Jerusalem because he came to save. He came to die. He came to rescue us. And faith leads us beyond seeing Jesus as king and trusted him for salvation. I've been encouraged over the last several weeks by how Jesus still saves. You know, I was so thrilled to to see beach reach numbers, to see our students that, that were at the beach week one and week two, and week two, 171 students, spring breakers, trusted Jesus as their Savior and Lord. 47 of them got baptized right there at the beach. Jesus still saves I was encouraged by visiting churches around the state during my sabbatical and and almost every church that I visited there were baptisms and it was young people. And I said, Jesus is still saving. He entered Jerusalem 2,000 years ago and he's still entering the lives of people, rescuing them. The savior king, we want to see him as that, but we also want to see him as a servant king. Kings who who in the first century would arrive in their hometown, would usually arrive in in, in a horse, if you could, a white horse, and and chariots and armies with weapons, declaring their power and, and, and their glory, and their ability to conquer kingdoms. But did you notice that when Jesus enters Jerusalem, he's not riding a horse, the Bible tells us that he rode a donkey. He chooses a donkey, verse 14. And he sits on it. And and, and there's a quote from the prophecy. See, do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is com- coming seated on a donkey's colt. A donkey is not very impressive. It's it's not an image of power. It's not an image of might. It's not an image of aggression or violence. It's it's an image of humility and gentleness. Jesus, when he chooses to ride in on a donkey, is making a declaration. He's saying, I'm going to be a servant king. A king who, who rules and who accomplishes victory through servanthood through suffering, in gentleness, and in humility. He saves in an unconventional way. It's interesting to note that the same people who on Sunday said, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, on Friday said, crucify him. We say, how could that be? the same crowd in Jerusalem. On Sunday they're saying, Hosanna, and on Friday they're saying, crucify him. And we wonder why. And I'm sure there's a lot of reasons why. I'm sure, I, I'm sure that, that we could talk about that for a long time, but, but one of the reasons might just be that people are not ready for a gentle king. They're not ready for a humble king. They're not ready for a servant king. They, they don't want somebody lowly and meek they want somebody with, that, that, that's a bully, that, that will overpower, that, that, that will show their might. And so when they don't get that, they, they turn on him. I'll say this, those who cannot accept a suffering servant as king are rejecting him. They're doing the same thing the crowd did from Hosanna to crucify. But those who have made Jesus king will adopt the gentleness and the humility and the servanthood that comes with it. Now, if, if the donkey object lesson was not enough, Jesus wants to make sure his disciples get it. If you go with me to John 13, what happens later on that same week in verse 12, Jesus wants his disciples to get it. They, had, they were eating the Passover. Meal. And and he does something that is really surprising. I mean, if the donkey is surprising, if the donkey is unusual, what he does on this occasion is he, he, the, the teacher, the master, the Lord, the one that had been declared king, the, the one who they said Hosanna to is washing their feet. Verse 12, when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Jesus wants his disciples to know. This is the way this king does it. And if you want to be in my kingdom, then you need to do the same thing. I wash your feet. And if you are going to follow me, then you wash one another's feet. That means you become servants to each other. You, you, You lead in humility. You lead in gentleness. Not by force. Not by violence. Not by might. But trusting in the spirit of God to do his work. There are a lot of people who think that they act on behalf of God today and throughout history. People who think that they are defending Christianity and yet they are acting like the rulers of this world. They are trying to accomplish Christian ends with worldly means and Jesus says, that doesn't work that way. The only way to accomplish God's purpose is God's way. I I, I was reminded as I watched a movie The Jesus Revolution about that movement that took place when I was a child, uh, back in the late '60s, early '70s, and how at that time it, there was a, a hippie movement. Hippies, some of you may know about that, but some of you, it was a generation that decided that they were going to rebel against the materialism uh, of of their parents and and so they, they kind of were just hanging around. They let their hair grow long, which was kind of unusual. Uh, they didn't take showers very often. Uh, they didn't wear shoes. They put flowers. They talked about love and peace, and they started experimenting with drugs, and it was this whole culture, And 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 the church didn't know what to do with them, and and mainstream culture didn't know what to do with them. And Chuck Smith was this pastor in California of a little struggling church. And these hippies would, would come by on his street and he would look at them and he, he, he thought they just needed a bath. But somehow God worked in his heart and he realized that what they needed was to be loved and to be accepted. And so he started letting these hippies come to his church. And in those days, you had to wear a suit and a tie if you wanted to go to church. There's no way that someone with long hair and no shoes would be allowed in any decent church. And people at his church were offended that he would let them come in as they were, smelling as they were. Maybe it was the bath, maybe it was something else that they were experimenting with. And people threatened to leave the church or to remove their funding if if he didn't stop these people from coming to church. But he understood That the way to to get the gospel to these young people was not by being mean to them. It was not by asking the police or the government to help him. It was not by by writing ugly posts about how how people should change if they want to become Christians or if they want to come to church. It was just by simply saying, you're welcome here. And it's no wonder that a whole movement awoke from that because That's the kind of savior people need. That's the kind of savior the world needs. It's a savior who loves them, who's gentle, who's humble, who's a servant to them. And so many young people came to know Jesus. Jesus fulfilled God's promise by riding on a donkey to Jerusalem. He fulfilled God's way through washing the feet of his disciples. And he accomplished our salvation through the Via Dolorosa and we're called to respond to that. My question to you today is, who's your king? Who's your king? There's a throne in your heart. It's not the game of thrones, just one throne. And somebody occupies that throne. Who occupies the throne of your heart? Is it Jesus? When you choose Christ as your king, you will know his way, you will know his power, you will be blessed. You, you will live in a due dimension. But when you choose another king, when anyone or anything else but Jesus sits on the throne of your heart, you will end up disappointed and empty and broken. There are three kinds of people in this story that we read together. There are those who ignore Jesus because they do not see who he is. They go on looking for other kings. There are the religious people who decidedly refuse to believe, refuse to see. They reject him because they have another king. It's called power and control. That still happens today, by the way, in religious circles. And then there are those who believe and rejoice that God has kept his promise, that he has visited his people in their distress and their brokenness, and they welcome him with open arms, with open hearts, and they make him king of their lives, and their lives are changed, transformed forever. Forever. Which of those three groups do you identify with? Which one do you wanna be? The last two stances of the hymn, Be Thou My Vision. Say, riches I heed not, nor vain empty praise. Thou mine inheritance now and always. Thou and thou only, first in my heart, high king of heaven, my treasure thou art. High king of heaven, my victory won, May I reach heaven's joys or bright heaven's sun. Heart of my own heart, whatever befall, still be my vision, O ruler of all. Is Jesus your king? What does that mean to you? What does it mean that he's your king? Is he calling you to a deeper contemplation of that, to open your eyes and, and see him in new and bigger ways? Is he calling you to surrender to him? To say, yes, he's going to be king of my heart. Is he calling you to give your life over to him? Whatever you're looking for, whatever king is trying to rule your life, you know it's not working out. And and today you say, I I need a real king. I'm going to just give my life over. I will trust him. I'm not just going to lay palm branches down. I'm going to lay my life down. And let him pick it up. Put the pieces back together. Maybe that's you. Maybe what the king is calling you to do is to remember to lead with humility. With gentleness. That's the witness that the world needs today. They don't, they don't need angry people. They don't need mean people. We got plenty of those. Any people that look like Jesus, that sound like Jesus, that act like Jesus, will you be that kind of people? What is your response today? What is your commitment? Would you bow your head? Father, as we we think about what it means to welcome you as king, would you... Would you open our hearts right now? Would you open our eyes that we might see you? Would you open our lives that we might receive you? Father, if there's someone here today that has never trusted you as Lord and Savior, would you stir up faith in their heart so that they would come to know you? so they would come and trust you, so that they would give up everything, every effort that they have made and surrender to you and realize that what they need most is someone to save them from their sins and someone to heal their brokenness and someone to lift them up to a new life, to the kingdom life. Lord, allow your spirit to work right now as we make commitments, as we pray, As we respond, in Jesus' name.